Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Our gospel reading for tonight is from the 28th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 15. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Hey! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city, and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, We will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to need a little help. The traditional greeting for Easter is a call and response. I say, Christ is risen, and you say, he is risen indeed. Let's do that one more time. Christ is risen. risen Amazing. Hang on to that just for a minute. You'll know when we need it. Crucifixion was a two-part trick by the Roman Empire. Part one, you make a spectacle of the person you're punishing. You strip him down, you hang him up. You plant the tree you nail him to by the side of the road on a hill for everyone to see. You tell your soldiers to make it a good show, complete with punchlines at the victim's expense. You attract a crowd. 
you let him die slowly to extend the entertainment. Part two. By making his death by torture a public show, you make him disappear. You induce terror in those who knew him. You make his name dangerous to say out loud. You make his friends deny they ever knew you, knew him. You don't only shut him up when you kill him, you shut down the conversation about him, the contemplation of his life's meaning. Eventually, even the memories that anyone had of his life are supplanted by the overwhelming sensory impact of his death. The sight of his naked, raw body seared on their eyelids, the sound of his ragged suffocation haunting their nightmares, the smells that the human body produces when it's pressed beyond its limits, triggering a gag reflex in memoriam. You ensure that no one speaks his name without a shudder. And eventually, no one speaks about him at all. That's what the Romans and their religious collaborators wanted, to make Jesus disappear. In their history books, if they did their job right, he would not be a factor, not even a blip on their historical radar, just one among thousands of inconsequential conquerors who protested Rome a little too loudly and were disappeared quite efficiently. I got disappeared once. There was no physical violence involved, but good therapy helped me recognize it for the social, emotional, spiritual violence that it was. I had been invited to preach at a conserving university's chapel service, a university that had expelled me for wanting to preach a decade and a half earlier. The invitation to come back was for a part of a series, and so they put my photo on their website, the only woman among the other invited guest preachers. I was so excited to say yes, and my little church was proud of me. So the university's announcement was also on our church website. I went, I preached, my grandmother came to hear. The only time she ever heard me do this thing that is my job and my identity. But when Certain donors to the university learned that a woman had been in their chapel pulpit. They raised a ruckus and threatened, you know what, to withhold funds. The university's response was to save their ass by making me disappear. They erased my photo from their website, retroactively shortening the series by one preacher, one sermon, as if it had never happened. That was not enough. My tiny church had that same announcement on our website, remember? Some poor schmuck at the school drew the short straw and had to call me at home to say that we had to scrub it from our church website. I should say that this was in the early internet days when we didn't yet realize that nothing ever really disappears from the World Wide Web. Long and short of it was, the university needed their problem with the moneyed alumni to go away, and so they needed me to disappear. So we could all pretend it had never happened. I had never opened my mouth in their pulpit, in their chapel service, at their school. <laughs> 
by the way, that is the event that caused my spouse and me to leave that denomination, the denomination of our youth, after years of staying when it was always against our best interest. Disappearing people is ugly, fearful, imperial behavior. A violent assertion of power over someone's identity. A usurpation of a community's choice as to what and how they will remember what happened. So the empire disappears Jesus with their two-part crucifixion trick, or so they imagine. It turns out they are not running unopposed for control of this narrative. God is biding God's time, waiting for friendly witnesses to show up and see what God can do. God is waiting, apparently, for the Marys, the one from Magdala, and, Matthew says, the other Mary, which is stupid funny because there were so very many Marys in Jesus' circle, including his own mom, though I doubt anybody called her the other Mary. I love the other Mary, whoever she is. And if I ever start a band, that will be our name, the other Mary. She is the friend who does not let Mary Magdalene do this hard part alone. She knows she's not the main Mary, and that's okay with her, the other Mary. I just love her so much. When the Marys get to the tomb, there is officially an audience again, though not as big as the one for crucifixion. But God knows that the Marys get shit done, so God puts on a show for them. Earthquake, angel, rolling stone, empty tomb. The angel deploys the Marys to tell the guys what they now know. And on their way, Jesus himself makes a surprise appearance like he just cannot wait to warm up his cold body in their embrace, which, you know, Thank goodness he does, or else he would be sir not appearing in this film, which is awkward on an Easter Sunday for Jesus to just not be there. Anyway, it's all quite amazing, and most definitely the main point of today, and really every day in our religion, that he was dead, but now he's not, and it's God who done it because, because God gets everything God wants. And what God wants is more Jesus. More of that kind of love and light and life in this world God still loves. It's just that I'm kind of fixated today on the response of the VRPs, the very religious persons, upon learning that the guy they tried to disappear has, well, actually disappeared, but not in a good way, the way they reckon it. Matthew says the VRPs had even hired soldiers to stand guard at the tomb against body thieves, against any possibility that Jesus' friends would fake out his followers by saying he was alive still or again. And those guards who fainted dead away at the sight of the angel whose appearance was like lightning, whatever that means, when they woke up, they skittered away to report to their bosses that it wasn't their fault what had happened, but that body was gone and that tomb was empty. And did they mention that it was absolutely not their fault? And their bosses, well, 
Surprise, surprise. They'd already used money once to buy a betrayal to find Jesus in the first place, right? So we might have guessed that they'd turn to money to try and solve this next problem. There's always money in stories like this. Hush money, Matthew says, a tale as old as time, trying to cover one's problematic tracks by paying off the people who know what you did, paying off the porn star, I mean, people, who could tell a story that gets you in trouble or shows you the fool or both. So the guards who fainted at the angel's feet walk away with their pockets full of coin and instructions to tell a very particular lie. You must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And, said the VRPs while they counted out the lie's price, if sleeping on the job got anybody in trouble with their commanding officer, well, they could fix that too, probably with more money. I'm just guessing. And if all this is starting to sound quite expensive, consider how highly they valued Jesus' disappearance, how badly they wanted him to out of existence, out of memory, out of history, how threatened they were by his beautiful way of being and how fearful they were that the story with him in it would cut deeply into their privilege, their power. Consider how badly they wanted to control the narrative, to tell the story their way, irregardless of what actually happened. Yes, I said irregardless, ironically, but I'm serious about how desperate people in power can become to control the narrative even if it means they have to disappear people to make it work. What do book bans in school libraries, pride display bans in public libraries, trans athlete bans on children's sports teams, gender affirming healthcare bans, drag entertainment bans, invitations for you to come for the holidays but only if you leave your partner at home, have in common? How are you to understand the constant insistence that your name and your pronouns and your love and your existence are all under the purview of people other than yourself? Why are people in power working so hard, spending so much money to disappear queer people from libraries and trans kids from soccer fields, and rainbow families from public life. Because, beloveds, they still think they can control the narrative. They still think that by disappearing people who threaten their privilege and power, the cishet patriarchy they cherish deep in their hard hearts, they can ensure that the story gets told their way. Isn't it delicious then when God grabs the pen and starts rewriting the ending? 
Isn't that the best Easter Sunday surprise? That ultimately, this is God's story, and God is not really asking for anybody's input. God is just churning out pages where the ones they try so hard to disappear simply won't stay that way, won't stay suppressed in a dank tomb where truth goes to die. In the story God authors, neither the VRPs, nor the empire, nor death itself can keep God's beloved son from breathing. In the story God is writing, neither the Christian right, nor any state legislature, nor your family of origin can narrate you, the true you, you were made to be, out of the picture. That is the Easter miracle we're here to celebrate. Not only that the most human of humans was resurrected in a vindication of his beautiful way of life, but also that God guarantees the same for you. That when the powers that be try to disappear you, God takes pen in hand to write a different ending for your story, one in which your life is vindicated, your existence is cherished, your breath cannot be stopped, no matter how much money anybody spends to try and control the narrative. That is Easter in a nut, that this is God's story, and it's going to go God's way. Believe it as best you can but not by yourself. Get you an other Mary, or better, a whole bunch of Marys, a community, in other words, of people who can believe it with you and believe it for you on the days that you can't. That's what we're here for. A whole church of other Marys, companions for the miracles that are hardest to believe. Happy Easter, y'all. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to galileochurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.